Hi there, everybody. I'm Mike. I'm here with Tommy. Welcome back to another episode of Driving to the Basket. Uh, once again, hope you all are staying healthy uh, throughout this very unpleasant health situation and hopefully happy as well. So today's episode, we're going to do a bit of a season recap. Uh, I know I said in the last episode, we are going to do a sort of uh, mailbag episode, but maybe we'll save that for later. So uh, we are today just going to talk about the season uh, that has, of course, you know, for the purposes of the Pistons, has been over for uh, more than three months now. So just take a quick jog down the roster, uh, talk about how we felt everybody did, uh, including the, the guys who are uh, now departed from the roster, uh, as well as who might be back, uh, some moments we enjoyed from the season, and... I guess we've already gone over quite a bit what the future holds. So let's just launch into it. Uh, just a quick season summary. I don't need to tell you guys this because you're all watching it, but season began okay. Uh, typical Piston season, really, in that they were trying to win once again, began without Blake Griffin, uh, and then more or less just evolved into a series of injuries that uh, yanked the carpet out from under that particular objective. And the organization, at long last, finally chose to change course and hit the reset button. Uh, we saw that for sure when Tom Gores, who had always been talking about the future is a little bit about now, or we got to build that winning culture or whatever else, finally came out and said our goal isn't to be the eighth seed every year, <clears throat> which really is a philosophy the Pistons uh, should have uh, been subscribing to long before that. So <clears throat> in any event, uh, let's just go on down the list. So we're going to start with the guys who are not here anymore. We'll begin with Tim Frazier, who really went the way of Jose Calderon. Uh, Calderon came in last season as a guy uh, who had shot very well from three for a long time. He was a veteran leader and so on and so on and so forth. He was absolutely and utterly terrible. Couldn't hit the broadside of a bomb with a shot for some reason. I couldn't play defense. He was just pitifully bad. Uh, Tim Frazier was himself very, very bad. He got shoved into the lineup very early because uh, he lost Reggie Jackson in game two. And he made the absolute least of it. The guy was decent as a passer, but he shot, I think, like uh, 22% from the field uh, in the early stages of the season uh, when the Pistons were trying to win before he lost his, his spot in the rotation to Bruce Brown. So uh, he was just he was just completely awful. He improved a bit toward the end of uh, his season with the Pistons uh, when it no longer mattered, and then he was ultimately waived. <clears throat> so uh, we are ultimately going to go with a, with a grading system of uh, great, good, okay, bad, and terrible. Uh, I'm, we're not even going to really pay much attention to the grades here for, for these guys who are no longer with the team and, and certainly won't be next season. Uh, but I just call Frazier super bad. <clears throat> And uh, Tommy's already told me he doesn't have much to say about these guys, so I'm just going to run through them myself real quickly. Uh, John Henson joined the team at the deadline, more or less salary filler in the drum and trade. He worked hard. He played his role. Good guy overall. Uh, ultimately, all he had to offer to the Pistons was uh, a contract that is gone this summer or this fall, as it were, with the changes uh, in the NBA schedule. Brandon Knight, same thing, came over, got uh, a little bit more of a role in the offense than I would have liked <clears throat> because at this point in the season, uh, especially with the guy again, Knights is a guy who is not going to be on the team almost, almost certainly and probably wouldn't even, you know, to be honest, probably, or in my opinion, not to be honest, will very possibly not be in an NBA roster next season unless he's a third string point guard. 
I uh, didn't like how much usage and time on the court he got when I would would have preferred to see that go to, I don't know, Jordan Bone or any, really any of the, the team's young guys. But uh, much like Kenson, salary filler, and uh, his, his chief contribution to the Pistons was his contract, which is done after this season. Jordan McRae, uh, a lot of you might have even not noticed that he was on the team if you weren't watching as much in the late stages or just simply forgotten about him. Uh, I kind of did. Uh, he was more or less a warm body. He was claimed off of waivers uh, in the midst of a slew of injuries and body and buyouts. He played four games. He played badly. Done. Markeith Morris, uh, pretty good as a seventh man. He really modernized his game, really focused on three-point shooting and uh, higher-efficiency offense. He largely phased out the notorious uh, Morris twin pull-up mid-range isos. Uh, he did horribly as a starter. But pretty good as a as a reserve. He was uh, generally fairly inconsistent. Some good games, some bad games. Uh, it was it was an issue with Marcus as well, and he was with Pistons, particularly with the second season. But overall, did his job uh, for a salary. You know, it was only about two point six million, and bought out at the uh, after the deadline. Uh, he's with the Lakers now, and might uh, get that playoff matchup with Marcus. Reggie Jackson. So, uh, I'm probably, uh, for those of you who are on the Pistons subreddit, I'm probably known pretty well as uh, I was one of Jackson's really harshest critics, uh, at least in that community, for a long time. Uh, it was, I, I think, personally a shame to see his tenure with the Pistons end the way it did. Uh, he came into the season injured. He was clearly not himself at all. In game two, he he just he put up a few just egregious air balls before, uh, before he left. It just clear the guy just couldn't even set a shooting for him. Ultimately, he came out the had a back injury, and he was out for three months. Uh, after that, he came back for three weeks, didn't play really well, didn't matter at all. And uh, then he got bought out after the deadline and went off to the Clippers with his uh, close buddy, Paul George, to chase a ring over there, and I wish him well. Uh, as much as he was really pilloried, you know, very harshly criticized by the fan base during his final two years with the team, uh, he actually, uh, I, I liked him. By the end, uh, I really, really didn't like him his first couple of years because I think he was just incredibly selfish and egotistical and just had to be the man no matter how good or bad it was for the team. But uh, I think by the time of his third season, and particularly uh, in his fourth season when Blake Griffin was along around, he had, he had morphed into a guy who was willing to take a lesser role and, and be more of a team player. So uh, I wish his... Uh, yeah, I wish... Well, whatever the case, I wish him well. You got anything to say about Jackson? I think he hit the nail on the head. Like in those last couple of years where he, he was able to like, not, not maybe not swallow his pride, but he was able to take the off ball role to make uh, Griffin's life easier. I, I did appreciate that because like you said, his first couple of years, he, him and Drummond, they had that pick and roll duo and they just ran that over and over and over. And you could tell they were both happy with that. And it probably wasn't easy for him to uh, go through these injuries and have to take this uh, like third, third man. So yeah, I, it's it's unfortunate that yeah this is how his time with the Pistons ends, but I don't know, maybe he'll win one with Paul George in the bubble. Yeah, he's got uh, I think he's got a good shot. Certainly, the Clippers are one of the best teams. Uh, Jackson definitely he wormed his way out or forced his way out. You know, whatever however you want to call it, it was it was pretty unprofessional, and, and for me at least, uh, kind of left me with a, with a bad impression of him from the beginning, but uh, he forced his way out uh, of Oklahoma City because he wanted to be the primary option. Uh, he was actually 
you know, he was a starting caliber point guard, and they had to trade him for scraps yep. because he because he made it clear that he was gone, and uh, didn't even kind of faked injury, I think, at one point. Uh, but he did so on the basis of I want to be a number one option, and he was fully, uh, fully intent on on maintaining that role, even when there were better players around him. Like uh, Tobias Harris was was a better scorer than Jackson. He was the best scorer on the team the moment he came in, and uh, and Jackson like the next season, uh, you know there was there was like, some controversy because he, he came and he was playing terribly, and he's like, well, I thought we were just doing a pick and roll. You know, I thought that's what we were going to do. And you know, he said, he said, uh, you know, uh, you know, my dream scenario is that we run the this. He said this I think in 2014 when he came to the Pistons, 2015, excuse me. He said, my my dream scenario before that, whatever, around that time, my dream scenario is that we run the pick and roll every play on the way to a championship. So, whatever the case, he matured, and uh, it, yeah, I just I, I wish you know, like I said the third time, I wish him well, and. Uh, you got to feel a little bad for him because he really did lose a lot from uh, his flare-up of knee tendonitis and then from his uh, grade three uh, ankle sprain, which basically means, I think, detachment of some of the ligaments. That was a nasty injury. In any event, uh, we come finally to Andre Drummond. Now, Drummond uh, began the season fairly well, actually. Uh, He was scoring fairly well in the paint. Uh, he was hustling. He was actually playing elite defense. He was still making some bad decisions as far as turning the ball over and, and attempting some shots he shouldn't take. But, uh, you know, he was playing well for the first, uh, I believe, eight games. Again, not perfect, but but good. And he was clearly happy because he got to play a major role in the offense. And I think it led a lot of people to think, you know, maybe finally as Drummond turned the corner, and this is what we're, you know, we're going to see this from him all season. And the answer, as it has always been, was no, he fell flat on his face uh, after maybe two or three weeks. Uh, the overall quality of his play really went down, uh, largely I think because he started having a lot of trouble scoring, and that's generally been a recipe for Drummond to mentally check out and start pouting and stop trying. <clears throat> so uh, his, his offense got real bad. His defense started to gradually slide. Uh, when Blake Griffin came back, Drummond visibly went into you know, just I I don't care anymore mode uh, because he was shoved. I think he was shoved off the ball, and the guy has pretensions of being this offensive superstar, and he's, he's never been able to accept. I think that that's not him. He doesn't have that talent. So it just went more and more downhill from there. Lazy play, bad decisions, uh, bad offense. You know, indifference. And for the last six weeks of his team, uh, six weeks with the team, excuse me, before the deadline, before he was traded. Uh, he was absolute and utter garbage with the Pistons. He was just terrible. I think uh, I don't know, it was for the last month or six weeks, the Pistons were like 10 points per under possessions better without him on the floor. And this began before the trade rumors. So just awful efficiency, terrible defense, laziness that was you know above and beyond even his, his usual bar, uh, usually very bad bar. Uh, it's funny that I find this really funny. Like when he was uh, last summer talking about his intention to uh, to hit the uh, to hit the free agent market because he thought he'd be a big fish. He more or less said that, uh, you know, in, in a free agency market that wasn't going to have a lot of big names. And, and the statement also made it pretty funny when he got really pissed and went on a rant on Twitter after he's traded the Cavaliers. Oh, there's no friendship or loyalty anymore. It's like, dude, you were talking about leaving <laughs> the team. If you, you know, possibly leaving the team to get more money. Uh, but in, in that same conversation, he talked about how he had added a three-point shot and, uh, and, and ball handling skills. And he went on to shoot like four 
like 4.8%. We're not saying 48. So this is less than 5% uh, from three-point range. Lead all centers in the league in turnovers. And uh, he was with his time at the Pistons anyway. Uh, he only played a few games with the Cavaliers, so I would imagine that held. And he was, I think, the only player in the top 20 uh, in assists per game who had a negative assist turnover rate. Uh, the guy just has pretensions. He's not Nikola Jokic. He wants to be, but he isn't. And I'm glad he's now off someplace else where where he can entertain those delusions of being a the, the fantasies of being a superstar scorer. Uh, I was glad to see him go for many reasons. You got anything to say? What, what's your opinion? Yeah, uh, a lot of what you just said. I would echo that. It's it's. We're, we'll talk about this more later, but like the way that he plays, where he's he's. He's drawing bad possessions, and he's he's making the team worse by trying to do more than he's capable of doing. Whereas, like the best centers are the ones who know their role and they stick to their role. And ideally, you don't even have to draw offense for them. And that that was a real problem with Andre because he he didn't want to be that player. He wasn't even the guy who was like when he had like open driving lanes. He was trying to do like these Kyrie Irving layups just for the the flash of it, but instead of jamming down the high percentage shot when sometimes he would even miss those layups and it was just pure frustration from him. So it's, it's unfortunate that with so much natural, like no, and so much natural potential and like natural gifts, he wasn't able to put it together because he was just unwilling uh, to put in full effort when he wasn't the hub of the offense, when he wasn't the guy who was making those pocket passes, it was, there was so much more effort from him and you can see this potential in in those first 10 games. And he just wouldn't put it together because he wasn't getting the the offensive role that he wanted. It's just it's such a waste, and and you even look at like where the league is trending in terms of what centers like him, modern, like these old school centers who can't space the floor at all. Uh, it's it's it was a smart move to trade him, and it, it really is like he came into the league eight years ago, and that was a completely different league. I mean, I talked about this, but we, you go back and watch like Miami Heat highlights from. 2010 it's a completely different game they're taking so much more mid-range these are the best athletes in the world and they're still playing a fairly slow game and that was something that Andre did he slowed the Pistons down he kept them uh in like the 2010s and that's how Stan Van Gundy coached him you know when he would go up for rebounds he would take the ball he would hold it for two seconds and in that time you know that was two seconds more that the, the the opposing defense had to get down the floor and set up their defense. And then by the time Reggie would walk it up the floor, you know, you'd have to go like into a half court set instead of what's become like more of the, uh, the ideal offense, which is like the transition and moving. And even that, I think Stan Van Gundy was not a big fan of, cause you could hear him screaming move. And these guys would just kind of walk up the court and, and then run their pick and roll. So moving on from Andre Drummond, it was just necessary because he kind of represents the past. And uh, it's good that the Pistons are trying to move into the future. Yeah. I, I've, I've promised on few done on past, uh, on past episodes that I won't rant about him again. I'm, I'm just going to disagree that in one area that I don't think he was really a center who was particularly fit for the past. He talked about how he came into the league eight years ago. The fact is that he hasn't really made substantive improvements in those eight years, you know, as much as people mm-hmm. can point to the fact that oh, he's only, 26 uh he just he hasn't really made those improvements beyond improving his free throws his free throw percentage from worse than nba history to just bad uh so i and i think this year uh he still had that role until until griffin came back and even after that he just got worse at it and when he didn't succeed he'd pout but i agree that he 
you got to play your role. And he, he was, he, he always refused to do that. So whatever the case, I think we're certainly in agreement that we're glad he's gone. Uh, I, I still, I still look at, uh, seems like a, a lot of uh, fans uh, who are not fans of Detroit were confused when the Pistons kicked him away for nothing. It's like, this is a guy who puts up big raw stats that don't actually have the anywhere near the impact uh, that they might appear, who plays very badly off the score sheet and who had no interest in the trade deadline. Uh, Zach will put it, he said he had no trade value. Uh, and uh, I think it was James Edwards who said that teams just didn't think that he played winning basketball. So either way, glad he's gone. He was a guy who forced his team to play around him just because he wasn't for two, you know, in two ways. Number one, because he was a traditional center and number two, uh, because he just wasn't willing to accept, uh, the role that befit his talents. The guy was just, he was a bad scorer. The guy was just, was going to be good at, at running to the rim and grabbing rebounds. Uh, so, and playing defense, of course, but you know, he wasn't willing to put in the work on defense anyway, either way he's gone. Uh, and really the, uh, the, the last era of Detroit basketball left with him and with Reggie Jackson, because those were the two guys Stan Van Gundy put together. He wanted his, uh, his ostensibly dominant big. I think he was thinking Dwight Howard and his pick and roll focus point guard, that style of play that really ground pounded ball pounding slow pace style of play just wasn't fit for the NBA anymore, but Either way, they're gone. <clears throat> so from there, let's move on to the guys uh, who remained on the roster and uh, who I guess maybe, maybe, maybe possibly. Oh, excuse me. Before that, we'll talk about a couple of the young guys or three of them, in fact. So uh, first one is Jordan Bone. Uh, he was, I believe, the 56th pick this last season, signed to a two-way contract, spent almost the entire of the season in the G League. He actually did fairly well in the G League. There were, there were questions about his jumper before he came in. Uh, on about six and a half attempts per game in the G League, he shot around uh, a little bit over 38%. That's good. Uh, he's very athletic. He's decent at getting to the rim. Uh, this, the guy still loves his long twos, uh, and those those really drag down his efficiency. Now, the question is, at the NBA level, can he get to the basket? Can he use the, that athleticism to get to the basket? Uh, and can he draw fouls, which he really didn't do in the G League? Nonetheless, decent performance. Uh, if there is a second bubble, uh, which has been spoken of for the teams who are not invited to uh, to the other NBA bubble, namely the teams, the eight teams that were just so bad that they would have been trying to lose. There was nowhere near playoff, uh, nowhere near the playoff cutoff. Uh, then I, I suspect, because I'm almost certain that you will see very, very few NBA veterans there, I suspect Jordan Bowen be a starting point guard. <clears throat> so next guy, I was going to talk about Dante Hall, uh, but because uh, I thought we'd see him in the bubble. But he was signed by the Brooklyn Nets, so we'll see how he does uh, for the rest of the season contract to replace, I guess, uh, DeAndre Jordan. Who I don't exactly remember why he's not showing up, but he won't be. Uh, he won't be with the Nets, who have been basically gutted by coronavirus diagnoses and guys deciding they don't want to play and other injuries. Of course, Katie and Irving were gone from the beginning. Louis <clears throat> uh, King, uh, who occupies the other two-way contract slots, uh, every team gets two. So Lewis King uh, was pegged by some as a first round potential first round draft pick. Ended up going undrafted because he just he shouldn't have entered the draft. He was, he was just it needed more development. So the Pistons snapped him up, and he uh, just like Bone. I, I should mention saw a few NBA minutes in which he looked completely hesitant and, and indecisive, and I don't blame him. You know that's just is how it is for guys early on in any event. So King likewise saw some NBA minutes in which he wasn't particularly good. Not a problem. Uh, he wasn't particularly good in the G League either. 
also not a problem. The guy just needs to develop and it, it costs the Pistons. The opportunity cost of keeping him in a two-way contract is very small for a guy who's long and plays at a position of need and, and is very athletic So and just has a lot of potential. So if there's a bubble, he'll get big minutes there too, presumably. And finally, Kyrie Thomas, uh, the man who cannot catch a break. Uh, he was superseded by Bruce Brown in the uh, rotation in his rookie season because he got injured. And then he got injured again this season and uh, missed crap at a time. And just as he was back and was set to get a larger role down the stretch in the final, I don't remember how many games were left, like 20? Something like that. Is that right? So he was set to, to get probably pretty big minutes in those games. And then the NBA shut down. So uh, poor guy. In any event, uh, I personally, it is his conscious salary for next season is not guaranteed. I personally think the person should absolutely guarantee it because you just, you don't want to give up uh, on any potential talent that you have under contract. Uh, any potential young, ta- young talent with potential that you have under contract. The guy is probably never going to be a good ball handler, but uh, if you can play good defense and shoot three pointers, then great. You're probably in pretty good shape. Uh, also the guy, though he's only, I believe, 6'3", you can actually play a little bit up the lineup because he's got a six, I think six, ten and a half wingspan. So uh, he's, he's a switchable defender and so on and so forth. Another guy will get time in the bubble. All right, finally, after 20 minutes, we get to the guys who are actually on the roster. Now, uh, we will get started with Bruce Brown. We're just going to go alphabetically here. So Brown, uh, after a, a brief but you know terrible, extremely, absolutely awful, but fortunately brief, maybe two or three game stretch at the beginning of the season, uh, improved to an extent. Uh, he would ultimately take over starting point guard duties uh, from Tim Frazier, uh, who was starting a point guard. Unfortunately, because well, I guess Casey just really wanted Bros to play from the bench. Uh, but having just Tim Frazier as your starting point guard was a very bad thing for a team that wanted to win. Nonetheless, Brown took over about about a weekend. He had his most notable game of the season in his first game, his starting point guard. Uh, the very undermanned Pistons beat the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, he had, I don't know, like seven, seven or eight assists. Uh, didn't shoot well, but nonetheless, it was it was a fun game to watch. He spent the rest of the remainder as, the, excuse me, the remainder of the season as the team's uh, titular point guard, uh, starting point guard. Uh, realistically, Derrick Rose got the majority of the minutes. Bruce Brown would come in and play, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe like maybe eight minutes. I don't remember exactly, but uh, Derek Rose was really the team's the team's lead point guard. Uh, but starting Brown allowed Rose to come off the bench, play less minutes, and play against easier opposition. So Brown was steady, but still an offensive liability. Uh, mm-hmm. People have pointed to the fact that his three point percentage improved, uh, which is more or less just him improving from one of the corners. He had already been good from the other corner. I think he was originally good from the right corner and he improved from the left. Whatever the case, he shot those on very low volume, only when left wide open. And though that's valuable, he shot 22% from above the break, which means that opponents were very happy to leave him open. Uh, He improved uh, to a degree, uh, so still spacing liability, improved to a small degree uh, on the way to the basket at scoring scoring the restricted area uh, or in the paint. Unfortunately, he improved from like one of the worst in the league to just really bad. The guy, it shocks me because it surprises me because he's very athletic, but he plays below the basket. He doesn't uh, he doesn't score above the basket off the jump. He settles for these flat-footed hesitation layups and floaters. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, still a liability. Uh, he, he, he impressed people as a playmaker in summer league where he still was unable to score, on, uh, unable to score efficiently. He impressed people as a playmaker, but in the NBA where guys would just play you 
a certain way uh, when you can't shoot. Uh, it just it makes his playmaking a lot less useful, and this was really illustrated by his, his awful efficiency on the pick and roll. So, uh, you know, and, and as though his assists per game tripled, his turnovers did as well. Still study on defense. Uh, he, he improved over the over the previous season. Not elite still, but maybe he has that ceiling. And he really did visibly come into his own as a team leader. So for next season, uh, what's to work on? Offense, offense, offense. More confidence as a shooter. No more passing up threes. You got to improve your mechanics. Work at scoring above the rim on the drive. Uh, I love I love Brown. Uh, not necessarily talking about his performance. He's just the ultimate team guy. I've said this before. I think that if the coaching staff said, Bruce, we're going to have our best shot at winning if you take zero shots, uh, that he would do it and probably be perfectly fine with it. And leadership is always useful. The guys with that work ethic are always are always useful. Uh, but he's he's just got to improve because even though he'll have a spot in the Pistons rotation, like right now he would not be a rotation guy on a bad team. Uh, on a, excuse me, on a good team because just defense guys who are spacing liabilities are just not that useful. And he's not he's not yet an elite defender. Uh, the Pistons are fine with this. Uh, I think with him continuing to to, to develop at this point, uh, you know, at, at a reasonable rate because they're not looking to win right now. But we got to look at the, also the fact that he's twenty. He'll be twenty four at the start of next season. So if improvement doesn't come soon, it might not be coming. Uh, I'd say, so we're going to talk about just throw out a key stat for every player, uh, key stat for Brown. He improved his true shooting percentage by 5%. That's significant. Uh, but he improved from awful, like 47% to 52%, which is below average. Still good to see. All right. After that very, very long summary, which I promise is the longest one we'll have for any player. What do you think, Tommy? I just wanted to add, uh, for all the talk of his defense, uh, he, he, he did improve it, but I think, he was a little bit out of control. We we talked about this at the beginning of the year. He was a little bit out of control on defense, and uh, he, he plays very high energy, and I think that kind of was almost a little bit of a detriment to him because he, he matched up against Trey Young in one of the very first meetings of the year, and yeah, he was following him a ton, and he was getting kind of taken advantage of. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying it was the second game of the season. Oh, yeah. And uh, in the next meeting against the Hawks, you know, he, he played a much better – a much more under control brand of defense. And it was, it was really good to see that he was willing to put in the work and study the film. I'm sure uh, because he took that, he took that loss personally and he took that uh, defensive showing like, you know, to, to, to his brain. And he, he played it, he played it really well. Uh, I, I definitely need him to shoot better, at least from the corners because he, he's a team leader. Uh, he's definitely one of the guys who took Seku under his wing when Seku first got here. And I really hope that he can uh, continue to improve just to the point so that the Pistons can reasonably uh, can, can find the reasons to keep him because guys like that, guys, guys who are team first, uh, they're rare. And even if they're not the most talented guys, you want them as opposed to guys who have more talent but play for themselves like uh, Drummond. So I, I hope that he can pick up his three point percentage to an acceptable rate, because it's like, we'll talk about uh, these guys who can shoot the three, even if they're not great at a lot of other things, they have a place in this league. So that's what I hope for from Bruce. Yeah, I'd say, I think you got to be able to shoot from above the break as well. At least at maybe at least at like 30, uh, you know, like 32, 33% at least when you're left open. Otherwise guys just aren't really going to respect you. And it would help him out of the way to the basket if he could shoot those threes, but also it just it just reduces his status. Uh, excuse me, removes his status as a spacing liability, who really makes things more difficult than everybody else. 
Uh, also, yeah, about playing out of control. Last year, he was number one in fouls amongst consistent starters who did not play center. Centers would be more foul prone in general. This year, he cut down on those by about 18%, I think, which is still makes him very foul prone, but much improved in that capacity. So uh, I'd give Brown a, you know, based on where he is, actually, I mean, I would honestly give Bruce Brown as much as I like his work ethic. I'd give him kind of a grade of okay. Uh, I don't think he really did much to push himself in good territory, but uh, you know, I, I think he did passably well. What do you think? Yep. About the same. Couldn't really expect too much more from him. So just okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, Seku Demboya, uh, the Pistons rookie. So Seku was drafted purely, purely, purely on the basis of his potential. I think even the organization came out, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, and said that he's a project player. Uh, he was really a guy drafted for, somebody else put it well, this, these aren't my words, but drafted for two years from now rather than right now. And I, I don't think the organization really expected him to even play this season. Uh, and I think he wouldn't have, I mean, because Blake Griffin were healthy, Demboya just there wouldn't have been minutes for him. So, or if Thon Maker had played passably well, uh, which he did not, we'll get to that. So Dumboya came in, uh, when was it? Uh, just after the new year. I think it was, uh, it was on the 2nd of January. He had a really good two-week stretch uh, that was capped off by a 24-point performance against the Celtics before absolutely falling flat on his face for the rest of the season. He was probably one of the worst players in the season, excuse me, in, in the NBA for the remainder of the season, uh, notwithstanding this uh, this wonderful facial dunk he put down on Tristan Thompson, showed off his, his length <laughs> and his athleticism and his stink eye. <clears throat> so, yep. Uh, so, yeah, it was a little disappointing. Uh, that uh, that he, uh, you know, his, his performance abruptly declined to that degree, but uh, not surprising. The guy's only been playing organized basketball for about six years again. Wasn't at this point. I mean, I think he started playing at 12 or 13. He was drafted at age 18. So he's just raw. He wasn't expected to play. It was nice to come in and see that. I think he has uh, the basic touch, so to speak, as a three-point shooter, which is very relieving because some guys just don't have it. I think he's got a little bit of work to be done in a shot. It's got a weird spin. But for next season, improvement, improve everywhere, really. <laughs> he's got potential to be yeah. good on both ends. The guy just has to develop. Couldn't say how many minutes he'll get next season. Uh, I hope we'll get him, but uh, hopefully he's got that work ethic. Uh, key stat for yeah. him. Uh, in his first two weeks with NBA minutes, I believe this is eight games, he averaged 14 points per game on 54% from the field and 41% from three. So that was fun. I'd give him a grade of... Again, just like Brown, okay. Uh, I don't think he had a very good season in his own right. Uh, but he also, I, I think based on, in some ways, he exceeded expectations by playing in the NBA at all and doing fairly well at all, uh, including against some good teams, uh, against the Celtics and the Lakers in particular. Yeah. I mean, even that Celtics game, a lot of those buckets that he got were kind of like right place, right time. But it was still very encouraging. Uh, he did finish the year shooting under 29% from three. It seemed like maybe the length of the season got to him. A lot of these other leagues, they play like 20, 30 games. So the the 82-game grind was probably a lot for him. And this isn't even so much about Seku, but like that two-week period where Seku was like starting to show up as an NBA player, people freaked out. And I think it, it kind of showed us how, how desperate this fan base is for, for something to get excited about. So I... I hope that people like appreciate just the fact that 
we are taking these steps to to acquire more high level or high ceiling uh, young talent because I don't know if you remember, but at that time people were really saying like, "All right, guaranteed all star." Here, here we finally got our guy, and it was, <laughs> people want to be excited. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to like, I I don't think anybody wanted to like pump the brakes on that because it was really fun. It was it was so fun to finally have something to get excited about, but. Yeah, it was it was a little out of control there, but I was I was still very happy. You know, I didn't ex- nobody expected him to be that good, especially given the circumstances where he was really just kind of put into that lineup because the Pistons just had so many injuries this season. So I'm happy with the way Seku played, uh, just a notch above okay, I guess. Yeah, he uh, in his first game, James Edwards wrote an article about this. In his very first game, they told him you're starting and you're defending Kawhi Leonard. Uh, and that, that'd be a, you know, that'd be a hell of a thing to be told. He got butchered, of course, which is <laughs> fine. It should come as no surprise. Uh, it's your first real NBA minutes against uh, one of the five best players in the league. Uh, that's right. It but, was like, it was like Kawhi, LeBron, and then Draymond or something, right? It was like that West Coast road trip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think way. he was defending Draymond. Yeah. Those, those were the three guys. And, uh, yeah, yeah so it was fun. And, and the excitement yeah. was a big thing. And I think you're absolutely right about it. just people being desperate for some sort of excitement. I've always said that if, if you want to have a fan base, you've either have to have excitement for the future uh, or a consistently successful product. And the Pistons have had neither of those. Of course, if you've got excitement for the future, then you're going to parlay that into consistent success if you want to really build up the fan base. But the Pistons have had neither of those things for a long time. So that that was just one of the themes of the season, I think, as, as it went on and, uh, and and younger guys got uh, got more playtime. There was just more to be excited about. And that was nice, even though the Pistons were not winning at all. That was fine. <clears throat> that was okay. Actually good for a different reason. Uh, not that I root for the team to lose, uh, in, you know, just in a vacuum, but... The losses were good for draft position. Got to be real about that. So moving on, we go to Langston Galloway. Used to be one of my whipping boys. Actually had his best season in the NBA. And finally crested that league average efficiency mark for the very first time in his career. That's kind of a big deal for a guy who's a three-point specialist. You've got to be efficient. So he struggled with consistency at times, but nowhere near the just brutal degree of inconsistency that it, uh, that it did characterize his career in the past. So uh, absolutely deadly from the corners. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about that in my, in the, you know, in the key stat category. Uh, he's always been pretty poor, like 32, 33% from above the break, but whatever. Uh, led the Pistons in total minutes played and, uh, and aside from Brandon Knight, and I'm just going to talk about qualifying Pistons here. I'm not going to include Brandon Knight and, and Tenson and whatnot, guys who didn't play many games. Uh, he, Galloway, led the Pistons in scoring efficiency in transition and on spot-ups. Bit of a down year defensively, uh, but more like below average rather than bad. Hard worker, and uh, by all that's been said by by the beat writers, the guy is really considered a true professional in the locker room and on the court. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I would say, as far as areas improvement, and this is even assuming he's here next season, uh, he just is what he is at this stage. Uh, it's possible that he'll regress. It's actually probably a likelier scenario given that uh, he, he played above his typical. Uh, above his typical baseline, particularly in his in his perimeter shooting, I think he eliminated a lot of the really crappy mid range shots. Uh, it's been said the Pistons might bring him back just because just because he is that professional presence. But I think personally, it's a little unwise given the glut at shooting guard. Uh, I guess we'll see. You do have to have uh, apparently some some good presences in the locker room, so we'll see. 
So his key stat, he is he was one of the very, very best corner shooters in the league. He converted on 52.5% of his corner threes on more than two attempts per game. From the left corner, he led the league in percentage at 63.3%. That's three-point range. And he ranked second in total mix. And overall, third in, three, in total three-point mix from the corners and first in overall percentage. So uh, good for him. Shame for him that it amounted to nothing on a team that went nowhere. But that is what it is. And I got to say, I did like him a lot more this year. So I'd actually give him a grade of good for what he was brought in to do, which is basically just to shoot threes uh, He and, and work hard. You want everybody to work hard. And even though he, he really didn't have a very good year on defense, I, I'd still just in terms of what he offered on offense, I'd, uh, I'd give him a good grade. So uh, we'll go with uh, yeah. solidly in good territory. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. Like this is this was like the first year he was like tolerable. I, I would bring him back uh, or I'd be okay with them bringing him back, but I would still want them to kind of like lower his usage a little bit. I feel like, He's one of Casey's favorites, and Casey's favorites get played a lot more than they should sometimes, especially since we're probably going to, well, at least hopefully, draft a guard. Uh, and e- even if he continues to shoot well, uh, I would still prefer most of those touches go to somebody who's maybe more part of the Pistons' long-term plans. I wouldn't be surprised if he got a pretty nice offer, especially after those <laughs> uh, pretty excellent shooting numbers. But this whole season, I was kind of like, just wait. He, when we started shooting well, I was just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and for his efficiency to tank, but it didn't really happen. So I was very happy with Langston this season. Uh, and since, it, like you said, by all accounts, he is a good locker room presence, I would be perfectly fine with him bringing him back for another year or two. It was solidly good. Yeah, I I would not like to see him back just because I think I think general managers kind of need to save Casey from himself. I've, I think we saw that in the past <laughs> in Toronto because he will play his favorites. You know, they just, they will get time and uh, they might get time that uh, does not befit the team for them to get. Uh, so, especially if they're playing badly because they'll still get time. Galloway last season, man, he had one stretch when he, sh- you know, he, he didn't have a three in like, I think he didn't make it to single three last season in like 20 games, which is appallingly bad at uh, the se- last season being 2018, 2019. Uh, but I mean, I think Casey will just play his, he'll play his favorites no matter how, how well they play. And uh, so I'd rather see him not return. But uh, yeah, as far as Langston's overall three-point percentage was a just a shade under forty percent. Uh, that you know that makes you about uh, in the realm of an elite three-point shooter on, on five attempts per game. Uh, so next, moving on to Blake Griffin. Needless to say, a lost season. This was, I mean, uh, anybody who's listened to the show knows that I was a very very big detractor of the trade. Tommy here also not at all a fan of the trade. On the day of the trade, both of us were uh, were quite upset. <laughs> I was just we more shocked. I, my, my actual reaction was like just his contract value. I was like, we have to pay this guy that much for the next five years. Yeah, but yeah, I was, no, you I would, were you were like instantly against it. Oh god, it made like sense. This, yeah, I was like, this trade makes no basketball sense, and that wasn't only because he was injury prone. I mean, it was it was also just because it did cap lock the Pistons with a bad team. Yeah, the fit was awful. The Pistons yeah. just absolutely didn't have what was necessary to succeed in the NBA and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, and I'll still maintain period that, I, that this was just low hanging fruit for Van Gundy and, and, and for Jeff Bauer, who's the, the nominal GM and that they were desperate to save their jobs. And that, and that Tom Gores was just all about having a big name uh, who we, I think, which he equated with uh, stars going to win us games and bring in fans, which neither of which are true. <clears throat> you gotta have a good team. 
<laughs> so uh, Griffin this season, uh, after undergoing his fourth knee surgery, his basketball career, uh, consequent to which I believe he missed the entire preseason and also the first 10 games of the regular season, he returned to post the very, very worst marks of his career and only 18 games before he bowed out and underwent uh, his fifth knee surgery. Uh, same knee, the same surgery on the last, uh, on the same knee, excuse me, the last two times. Uh, just simply put, he was really bad. He had a few solid outings, but he just really wasn't himself physically at all. And uh, for the most part, it was just bad on both ends. Also, the team noticeably struggled to adjust, you know, to adjust to his presence because Griffin's just extremely ball dominant. You have to have him on the ball or he's a lot worse. Uh, also, just Dwayne Casey, you, know, you can hardly blame the guy for, for trying to make Griffin the center of the offense again because last season he was certainly a top 20 player in the NBA, I would say. And, uh, you know, you want to get the most out of your out of your, your best players. But it was just, it was visibly difficult to integrate him back in with, with Drummond, who, you know, however well or poorly he'd been playing, was largely playing with shooters at that point. And uh, Derek Rose, who himself is very ball dominant. But, so that, that was just very noticeable. I, I, I kind of personally anticipated problems. Uh, and also I've, I've said on the show that I think that even if everybody was healthy, I mean, that's just the fit on the team is very bad. Nonetheless, uh, hopes for the next season, better health and the possibility, however remote, of a trade. Uh, I think just Griffin has no utility to rebuilding team, and I have no doubt that he doesn't even want to be on one. Uh, the guy's entering the later stages of his prime. He probably, and he can hardly be blamed for this, does not want to, to blow two years of it on a team that, that almost certainly has very little chance of even competing for a playoff spot, uh, let alone for a championship. So... Uh, also, yeah, I mean, he was a good leader last year, uh, but uh, he certainly led by example. But that is very different between that and playing on a team that's not going to be trying, you know, that, that's, that for which development rather than victory is is the goal. And, uh, you know, who knows? I, I, I can't really think of any scenarios in which somebody would trade for him. Who knows? Maybe. Couldn't say. And and you never know. One of these times it's like, is he going to come back? And we just find that, that he's just impaired for good. There have been a lot of injuries. So either way, if he's on the roster, it'll be his first season on a rebuilding team since his rookie year. It's a long time ago. So key staff for Griffin, true shooting percentage of 47.6%, which is the product of 35% from the field and 24% from three, was by far the worst of his career. His previous season worst was about 7% higher, 54.4. So I can't really give Griffin a grade. I mean, if this was a guy who would just played the whole season, I would have said you had a terrible, terrible season, but I'm going to have to go with kind of not applicable. Incomplete. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Incomplete. Would you trade him at a loss? Uh, to find a loss, like giving up. Ooh, I don't know, like a, a decent role player or like a second rounder to get rid of his contract. Yeah, I'd give up a second rounder to get rid of his contract. <clears throat> uh, to, you know, with the, against the possibility that you could actually get more from absorbing a couple of bad contracts that last the next two years. You know, because if you can absorb a couple of bad contracts and get uh, three second round picks then you've come out ahead. Yeah, that's good thinking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, I mean, frankly, if he comes back next year and plays well, the Pistons will, might get just stuck up, stuck in you know mediocrity purgatory again, and I really would like to avoid that. I'd also like that uh, the usage to go to their young players and for the Pistons to be able to run a modern offense, which is impossible with Griffin on the floor. Right. So, any thoughts? Any thoughts about his, uh, his performance this past season, or did I pretty much... Say everything. I don't even 
I mean, with him, like, yeah, other than the stuff that you mentioned, I don't really think about him in terms of the future anymore. I mean, at this point, I, I'm so focused on, like, can we move him? Can we get any type of value for him? Is it worth holding on to his contract and just letting it expire in a couple of years? I, those are the questions I have with Griffin. I mean, can he come back and, pro- like, prove that he still has something left and maybe you, you trade him to, like, I don't know, Denver for Millsap because he's a little bit younger, but... I don't know. I, I don't even. I don't even think of Griffin as part of the part of the future anymore. I don't think he'll. I don't. Think, I'd be very surprised if he even got an offer from the Pistons once his current contract is up. I don't know. I don't see any reason why they would do that, or any reason why. I mean, if I'm Griffin, I made a ton of money. I'm going ring chasing on a, on a very reasonable deal. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Once once I'm off the Pistons, I don't think Denver would ever trade for the guy. I mean, here's the issue with Denver: uh, is that Jokic plays the exact same way as Griffin does. Uh, that, so, oh, that's true. The, yeah, yeah and he's better. Yeah, and the three point <laughs> shooting's not there this year. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's too Denver, much for a shooter yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, what are you going to do? Like, set up two guys in the post. <laughs> They're both calling for the ball, <clears throat> and then and then pass the ball to each other. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I mean, the issue with Griffin is like it's, it's you know it's a big salary number, and that that makes it really difficult to match salaries. Maybe in a multi team mm-hmm. trade. I don't know. Uh, and maybe for a team that really wants to clear space ahead of the 2021 free agency class, which is, which is pretty big, but uh, who knows? Things are just a mess right now. Uh, and if the cap goes down, that's just going to make things, make it even harder to move his deal. So that'll be it for part one of the season recap. We will continue in part two, which has been posted alongside this episode.